everybody and welcome this is the nokomoto podcast episode number 153 i'm your host moto g pete and with me is your other host swiggy yep and we are coming to you from nokomoto headquarters here in northern colorado where we got another one of our 300 days of sunshine that we get every year moto one podcast network studios suite a this also happens to be you know i Hold on, Swigs. Are you sitting down? Well, of course you are. We're recording. The president of the Moto One Podcast Network is angry with me. Shocker. Yeah. Well, see, I think he should be happy. So his arm was stuck in one of the vending machines, and I helped him get out, right? Now, he said it was still my fault because I went around. I called the company that supplies all the vending machines, and I told them that we're changing all of our stock in all of the machines to squirt in a bottle. And that included those machines that have the snacks in like the spiral. So I guess some stupid people were ordering bottles up at the top and they were being pushed out and they just would fall down and crash. So everyone bought all the soda down at the bottom. So the president tried to get one of the last squirts had his arm inside the machine to catch it as it fell and it got stuck. I mean, I don't think it's my fault, but he says it is. I don't know. I almost feel bad, but I don't. So anyway, (laughs) that's easily the dumbest (laughs) bit you've ever done. (laughs) So what are we going to talk about in this episode? We are going to do emails. We are going to catch up on emails. I think we should start the show with Swigs, you doing your sort of validation run on proposed Moto3 changes. And we're going to – we're going to talk about – we went to talk about this last week. Things that aren't really branded – not even just branded. Things that aren't displayed, stickered or even cast into the engines on, on bikes anymore. You know, I, um, details about the bikes. You, you'll see what we mean. We'll probably come up with a better way to explain it once we get to it. Probably not. Well, I don't know, yeah. And, oh, oh, and best worst bike in the world this week. We're going to do that too. So I think you should start off this one and let's just get that, uh, that Moto3 talk out of the way. It's, we've talked about it in the last two episodes, but, there's been a couple interesting developments, some some other people in the industry taking notice. Yeah, so it's being talked about on Paddock Pass. It's been on a few different communities. It's The tide has turned a little bit more that it's not a completely shut down idea anymore. It's slowly becoming uh, a more valid point and people are kind of taking notice. Uh, I would like to highlight uh, an article on uh, therace.com from Simon Patterson, who actually spoke to a Moto... I don't know if it's a Moto3 rider, just a rider in MotoGP, who said um, that he suggested that they bump 
the so this is from an actual racer in the MotoGP series, and we don't know what class. I presume Moto Three, but he says that they should just bump the limit from two fifty the the displacement from two fifty to four hundred cc's, which also makes a lot of sense because uh, we were I was saying you know get Kawasaki involved, but it's still I totally agree yeah, but it's still all still under contract, but Honda and uh ktm both have 400 cc motors they both have 400 cc singles well honda's got like a full what the cb 500 r motors that what that's like a 563 or 73 well they both have they both have motors that are close to 400 cc's yeah they could just change the bore on that yeah yeah that's something you could do very quickly and you don't have to like cancel contracts early or get another manufacturer involved you can kind of work it in and if you could get both them on board and it also makes perfect sense because these are motors that people already buy for street riding i guess i didn't think about this you're right ktm and honda are really the only manufacturers in moto 3 I believe they are the only manufacturers. Well, I mean, they say gas, gas, but it's just a KTM. Yeah. Yeah, because Mahindra hasn't done it for a few years. They kind of quietly dropped out, which I'm a little sad about. I don't know. It was fun just having weird old Mahindra in there. But okay. Um, yeah, you're right. They both have an engine that would be... I. It's still two different engines, though. Uh is it going to get into a weird prototype phase rather than spec? So uh, this is the other thing on the on the on the actual FIM side, they did freeze development f- until twenty twenty three. Okay, so we have to write out this season and another two at least before there's a change is even possible. Yeah, which they announced shortly after Catalonia. I wonder if they're going to... It depends what they're going to do. Um, but ultimately, I think I think they said like they're, they were... You know, apparently after the race, everyone got pulled into a room and yelled at by race direction for the unsafe riding. And they're going to have another big safety meeting, you know, at the start of the next uh, set of races. Which will do nothing. It doesn't change anybody's incentives. We've already had multiple... We've, we've already had race... We've already had a race where every single person's position on the grid changed as a result of uh, qualifying penalties. So, it doesn't matter. Until you change the motivations or you actually change the, the structure of the of the event of the of the class like it just won't work i agree and the hmm. so i mean there's okay. there's a couple things here which the first is that i, I just want to say i fucking told you i've been saying this for at least two years in fact i think i i think we had a conversation about this before we even started the podcast it's entirely possible I don't remember, but probably. So, and, you know, I I could lord this over everybody, and I will for a moment. Fuck you, I was right. 
But also, I'm just kind of happy that everybody is starting to come around to this idea and starting to understand what I've been talking about for so long. Yeah, well, once you have the argument more than a couple times, it becomes apparent that the only the only reason to not change the spec on the bikes is well because we've had this spec, right? The the only reason is well we just feel it's sacred for some reason. Okay. How but, sacred is the 1 liter class? Exactly. Because if you recall they were afraid when they switched to one liter four strokes that the bikes were getting too fast and the bikes were getting too good compared to what the two strokes were and compared to how yeah. good the tracks were. And they dropped them to like 800 something cc's. And what happened? Honda made a five liter. Honda or a five cylinder, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah, five cylinder. Honda made a five cylinder, but also everyone realized that in order to go faster, they had to carry more speed through the corners. And instead of people overshooting and going out into the gravel traps, they high sided. They high sided. Yeah, because the ABS wasn't sophisticated. Right? And they all got stuck close together. Well, I, they don't. They don't have ABS. But I mean, yeah, the suspension, everything, the traction control, which is basically ABS. I don't know if they have traction control either. They have like turn by turn traction control. They, no, they have turn by turn um, throttle mapping. They, they. Anyway, the important point is they did it, and then they realized it was a huge mistake, and they changed it back. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, again, it didn't even make much difference, too, because Honda made a five-cylinder that was about as good as a one-liter inline four or V4, whatever. So when they went back to the one-liter, they went, okay, it's one-liter, but also it's a one-liter four-cylinder, guys. <laughs> We're looking at you, Honda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There's nothing in the rules that says a dog can't play. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right so I, I i agree with you at this point you're right but as i say there's the only the only argument they have against it is well no because it's been 250 for a long time and it's like yeah but it was one two five two stroke for a long time there's and no it, I, i'm gonna maintain there is nothing sacred about a 250 this you're is right it the the it's and again they're not getting rid of 250 racing the 250 racing will exist in all kinds of other leagues they'll still well be first of all liquid molly junior cup no it's 400s yeah it's all 400s and oh you, you're listing yeah. things that have moved on from 250 yeah. and even if you look at world super sport 300 there's like a couple r3s that are 350s but it's still essentially even though the class is called super sport 300 it's also still just essentially all ninjas. Right. Like, it. there's nothing sacred about it. Everybody else has moved on. It's not even remotely... I mean, it's... A, it hasn't even been a 250 class for all that long in, you know... In the long arc of motorcycle history, it's still kind of a recent thing. I would argue probably the 600 class may have been the the longest running 
kind of felt the most special, like traditional motorcycle racing class. And everyone was super happy to see it go triumph. So yeah, there's, there's no, there's no reasoning from safety or anything or even quality of racing to defend the 250. If you defend the 250 class, it's just because you fear change. No other reason. And I, I bet the teams are all for it. The teams are all about development. You know, and they and how many of the teams would love everything to kind of to get a blank slate again and all start from an equal footing again. Right. I yeah. Okay. That yeah. All right. So let's move on to best worst bike in the world this week. Because we got it. a lot of show to get through here. Okay. So here it is. Best worst bike in the world this week. This is where we each pick a different bike every week. And Swiggs and I have no idea what each other have chosen. It's a surprise. Like as if you woke up with your head sewn to the carpet. Surprise. And, you know, we're just going to have to supply the best arguments that we can for them being the best and the worst bike. And we're going to ask that you play along with that. You know, I've been wrong about things before, and I know it. Swig's wrong about less things, but still some things, and he knows it. And you know it. So, whatever you pick apart that we got wrong, or whatever we forgot to say, more importantly, send that email to contact at nokamotopodcast.com. And remember, like Macho Man Randy Savage always used to say, Oh yeah, there's no crying in motorcycles, and don't say anything bad about Miss Elizabeth. So, Swigs, you have worst bike in the world this week. I do. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The Kawasaki Z125. Oh, I kind of like the Z125. It's a slightly more affordable Grom. It is. But it also kind of misses the point. Okay. So, yeah. Surprisingly, it's not only a cheaper Grom. It's actually a more powerful Grom as well. By the smallest, uh, <laughs> instead of 8.9 horsepower, it's 9.2 or whatever. Or it's the same as what the new Grom is. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, isn't the Rascal slightly faster as well? The Rascal's not taken off. Or the Benelli 135 or one. Is it a, the Benelli 125? So, is there no, a TNT 125? So here's, here's the thing. Anyway. The, the, the Z125 actually has a claimed horsepower of... Just under 15. So it claims to be... Is that the Z125 Pro or just the stock Z125? Uh, that's the Pro. Okay. Which also comes with a... Comes liquid-cooled. But in any case, yeah, it's like... The, the base one is slightly more powerful. I mean, they're, they're, kind, they're basically different bikes. But here's the problem. Okay. The Grom, as fun as it is, as silly as it is, and and all the all the best ways, was a total fad. It wasn't a new class. 
it wasn't uh, an area for everyone to compete in. It was just its own thing. People riding Groms, people who were having a hoot on Groms, wanted to ride with other people riding Groms. They didn't, you know, some people were specking them out and doing ridiculous mods to them and boring them out and all sorts of silly things. It was almost like an extension of the pit bike thing. Yeah. But for the vast majority of Groms, it was just people buying stock Groms, keeping them stock, maybe doing oil changes. You know, questionable. I bet there's like 60% of Groms have still not had their first oil change. It's possible. But it was all about just... Because essentially it's it's in the realm of a pit bike or a scooter. It's not competing on power or performance. It's not about having the best suspension or the best setup. You know, it is kind of about racing them a little bit, but not really competitively, not taking it too seriously. It's all It was all low stakes. It was all cheap. It was all just about being a bit silly. So then the one two the Z125 comes out and it's all angular and aggressive and angry and oh we've got better numbers. We're we're beating you on price. We're we're going for all this shit and it's like but we don't care about any of these things. Like this isn't important. I don't know why I've I still have never seen one of these in public. I don't know. I've seen a couple, uh, but you're right. It's it's got nowhere near the the ubiquity that the Grom has, for whatever reason. Uh, it, well, because it does it was, fail to connect with the public in the way that the Grom did. Well, that's because even though it's still being made and it's popular, in many ways, the Grom is a cult bike. Yeah, the Grom isn't a one-two-five motorcycle. It's a Grom. It's not a small motorcycle. It's a Grom. It's not a mini bike. It's a Grom. It's not a scooter. It's a Grom. It's not even really a motorcycle. It's a Grom. Right. Whereas the Z125 is just the best Grom clone. Exactly. It's the first loser. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, you know, and, and this is another bike that people kind of talked up. Obviously, people that didn't ever buy one, because people like to get excited about what they think is going to be a cool trend rather than what they're actually interested in. It's just kind of how... Uh, moto journalism works but again it 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 was it's it was jumping on you know this is this is like um this is like when you when you go to the park with your family and then like somebody else's mom yells out like all right everybody who wants ice cream come over here and then you just kind of walk over, not realizing that they mean everybody in my family. And they're like, who are you? What are you doing here? That kid is the Z125. I would say it's a little bit more like 
the Z125 is like the very last kid in your class to buy a bunch of pogs. And they show up on the playground with all their pogs and they didn't realize that everyone stopped caring about pogs five days ago. Yeah, that's a that's a good comparison. And they, it shows up to the party just thinking, oh man, it's going to be so great today when I go to school and show everyone my sweet pog collection. Or cup stacks, or whatever it is, beanie babies, whatever the whatever the thing is, and it was. Or the kid who shows up and wants to talk about his Tamagotchi, but doesn't realize that everybody has already moved on to Pokemon cards. Exactly. It that that's kind of what it is. Yeah, I mean, well, there's also there's also an argument that. If the Grom is the Tamagotchi, the Z125 is, is Digimon. No, no, Digimon is the is the is the no, that'd be if the Grom is Pokemon, then then the Z125 is Digimon. What was the what what was the um the competitor to Tamagotchi? Oh my gosh, I should know this. Oh, uh, oh. this is this is going to be a deep pull that nobody will relate to. Uh, uh, let me think here. This is a long delay for a zing. It really is. Uh, no, I, it's not a zing. I just have to know what it is. Uh, the Gigapet. The, the Z125. This is really all you need to know. The Z125 is the Gigapet to the Grom's Tamagotchi. Right? We all know the Tamagotchi's a far, far, far superior. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, 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 oh, and then, okay, strap yourself in, Swigs. So the Grom is the Tamagotchi, the Z125 is the Gigapet. And that makes the Rascal the Neopet. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Oh, I just made Gigapets. the whole world make sense. Oh, Gigapet is Tiger Electronics, of course. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, there you go, too. If, if the Grom is the Game Boy... The the Z one two five is the tiger handheld. No, that doesn't work because the tiger handheld had limited functions. Anyway, there we go. Okay, we should move on. <laughs> yeah. Digimon, digital monsters, Digimon are the champions. Okay, worst bike in the world. Oh no, best bike in the world this week. And the best bike in the world this week is. It's like the 2004 to, I'm not sure, like 2006 or something. It was short-lived. Yamaha BT-1100 Bulldog. This thing is kind of rad. It It's going to seem a little disappointing at first, but let me break down all that this is. So, yeah, find us a picture. 
And at first you might look at this and go, well, it's a Japanese Ducati monster. And that's kind of true. This came out at about the same time as the monster. And it also came out about the same... This is also during Buell years. It's kind of half Buell, half monster. And I think it's great. I think it's got a design that has aged very well. But it's not the aesthetic that makes it so brilliant. It's that it takes all the problems of a monster and a Buell, and it solves them. Okay. So it's it's a kind of funky, kind of sexy, cool-looking naked bike that has accidentally uh, slid upon a styling that still makes sense today. Agree or disagree? Yeah. I mean, got- how close does it look to the new SV650 Cafe? It's pretty close. Right. But it's not a 650 or a 696 or an 821. It's an 1100 V-Twin. Now, here's where I'm going to lose a lot of people. It weighs 500 pounds, and it makes 65 horsepower. Okay. Now, here's where I'm going to win you back. It makes... 65 foot pound of torque and it's an 1100. Now you would say, well, that's a pathetic amount of power for that engine. Is it just indestructible? Yes. And it has, as far as I can tell, the most casual maintenance schedule of any motorcycle I've ever heard of. The shortest time that the manual itself recommends doing anything is 10,000 kilometers. That is the shortest amount of miles. There's nothing you, once you do your service at 10,000 kilometers, there's nothing to do for 10,000 kilometers. There's an oil change every 62,000 miles. 6,200? Sorry, 6,200 miles. There's brake hoses at four years. There's a couple extra things you have to do at 31,000 miles. So essentially a 30,000-mile service. But, I mean, it's not a lot. It's These are two valve cylinders. It is basically the exact same performance as a Sportster 1200 motor, but with Yamaha reliability. This is the motor that should be in the Bolt. It might be, actually. It. Oh, no, because the Bolt's an 850 or something. It should be this motor. It has only 8.3 to one compression. That's the compression on like a 1950s Royal Enfield. That's less compression than the W650. That's less compression than a CB350. I this is 
the definition of understressed. This is, I think this is a 200,000 mile motor. Now, on top of that, again, like, well, why, how, how, how can you go 6,000 miles without doing anything? Because it's shaft drive. You don't even have to fuck with the chain. I mean, for real, you don't have to do shit for this thing except once every 6,200 miles. It still does 130 miles an hour, and it has a buttload of torque. More torque than a 600 Supersport, like 50% more torque than a 600 Supersport. Did you, so say, it's gonna, 60, did you say 65 horsepower? 65 horsepower okay. and 65 foot-pounds of torque. So this is like, this is almost the perfect like commute from the suburbs into town bike. Yeah. Because you can't use 65 horsepower in the city, but also it's enough for the highway it's still kind it's of plenty for the highway. Like I said, it'll yeah. do 130. It yeah. redlines at 7,000 RPM, but it's, and it's not going to blow your peak mind. Torque's 5,500 right. RPM. I mean, I mean, but I mean, like it's not going to blow your mind at 500 pounds. But it's tot- It's way more. It, it's it's enough to commute with. But then it's also got all that torque for being a little bit sporty. Yeah, I I, do, I like this. Oh, the forks is the one that was the fork oils at 30,000 miles. So you fuck with the forks at 30,000 miles, like after you've had it like six, seven years, right? And beyond that, it's really just changing the oil. And I think it's like every 15,000 miles, you adjust the valves, which is super easy because there's only four of them. And I believe you can get to them inside the bike on this. I I, th- I believe I I I looked I found it in the manual. Um, I like that it's got a little bit of triumph in it too. If you look at that frame, it looks like a street triple without the hideous headlight. But yes, well, I love the the triumph like crazy headlight. But it's it's in that. It's in that monster. If you park it, if one of these is parked in a line next to a monster or a street triple or some crazy, you know, like a Buell Cyclone or even an XB series, it fits right in, doesn't it? Yeah. And in what situation with all that torque are you really going to get left behind? I mean, the other bikes will start start pulling away from you, sure, in between like. 85 and 100 miles an hour up to that point you're right with them so unless you're really into riding like 110 miles an hour on the freeway uh okay and yeah this is definitely not a suitable track bike it's way too heavy but if you're a real world rider which almost all of us are this is a ducati monster that doesn't have ducati problems it's a buell Without the Buell problems, right? Right. It's got all the street cred to 99% of the population as the other ones, right? It, it has that look. And again, I'm really impressed by the look of it because for something from 2004, it's shockingly modern in its appearance. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would say is that the headlight with that windscreen 
is like a robot from a Pixar movie that you're not supposed to know right away if it's good or evil. It's kind of like I said, that, that windscreen very much has a Buell vibe to it, especially like a Buell Ulysses sort of vibe. Yeah. I But I like it. Um, oh, this also has excellent brakes. This has the brakes off the R1. Ooh. No one knows why, but it does. It they were mi- making a lot of R1s. That's true. R1 parts were, were in excess supply, I'm sure. I guess some people also complained that this didn't have very good ground clearance. But why that, the fuck would you care about that? Exactly. I think. Uh, well, also, I think a reason that this didn't take off very well is it's. Um, well, it this... was only sold in the UK. Okay. Well, that makes well then the insurance would have been horrendous, right? Well, there's that. But also, you know what? 2002? That's uh, that's a long way around, isn't it? Or is that 2004? It's somewhere in there. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, uh, Long Way Round was a sleeper hit. I think Long Way Round, yeah. What was are you talking two- about? They were on Jonathan Ross. <laughs> no, it really was a sleeper hit. I remember, I remember it coming out and... In the U.S., it debuted on the Independent Film Channel, and I remember <laughs> seeing a lot of a lot of previews for it. And then I promptly forgot about it until about two thousand and five, and then uh, I I watched, it and then yeah, I mean, it was a sl- it was around a few years, and it was a slow sort of word of mouth creep. That you know, one biker was telling to another, then they tell another. It wasn't, it wasn't a big thing for a while. It it really did take a few years. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. That um, you're right. Insurance killed it, and but also its big strength is the low maintenance. And I think in the context of the U.S., this would have done a lot better. Because these huge distances you can go without doing the maintenance makes so much more sense here. Yeah. I mean, if if you're really into road trips, it is not hard to rack up five to 10,000 miles a year in that range. So if you're riding something with a three or four, three and a half thousand mile oil change interval, I mean, you could be doing three to four oil changes per season, depending yeah, you can go through two or three chains in a year here, especially if you live in Florida or Southern California, right? Yeah, or, or Texas or you know Louisiana, like any of these hot or places. Kansas. Well, well, Kansas, yeah, because you have to drive four hundred miles just to get to school or whatever. There's nothing <laughs> there, so like. <laughs> Like people visit relatives and have to stop and just have entire other families on the way. <laughs> like, yeah. So, I this is an amazingly practical thing, but it's still, it's still a big torque kind of kicky in the pants kind of bike, actually. And it 
it's a bike that everyone poo-pooed in the magazines when it was teased. And then when they actually got their hands on it, even the moto journalists said, this is actually kind of good. Is it a track bike? No. But they were saying it's actually got pretty good handling. The weight's low down. It's kind of Buell-esque. It's kind of Ducati Monster-esque. It just doesn't come alive at the top and like like the Ducati would or the Buell would. Well, I guess the Buell wouldn't. But like the Ducati would. It's it's not track-oriented. It's a much more streetable version. Right. It, you're going to live with this one way easier long-term. And yeah, if you don't need to be doing a bunch of wheelies and all that, what this is the one to have. It's it's very sustainable. Um, you know, this is the one you would want to take on a four hundred mile day versus the Ducati, right? Yeah. This is, or even a thousand miles, or whatever it is. This is the one. So I don't know. And it, it's just totally forgotten. I think it's a model or a sort of basic concept that's coming back a little bit with these 650 class bikes. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 Z650 uh, isn't exactly this, but it's sort of like the closest thing we have to this right now. And we all know that's a bike that makes a lot of sense that a lot of people love for the same reasons. It's not as big a power as this. It's tuned up a lot. Yeah, I, we're not seeing anything extreme like 1100s, but we are seeing we are seeing a lot of kind of parallel twins going this route. It, I was just about to say, what if Honda gave us an 80 horsepower version of something like this? with the africa twin motor Ooh. just lower the compression a little bit again well, really we're talking about a rebel 1100 that configuration of the motor in but something that's in not a, naked, a cruiser yeah, yeah just in a, a naked, in a naked bike frame uh-huh right just a appeal to another audience and because i think also, they, again, i think they give it a bigger that... oil pan make it a li- just yeah, slice off well, a little bit of the power well, yeah, because I think they dropped that motor to ninety something horsepower from a hundred, and yeah, so. something like that. Yeah, I think it was like a hundred and ten before, and they dropped it to like ninety something or eighty nine or something like that. So yeah, just take that configuration from the Rebel Eleven Hundred, put it in a naked bike frame, and you've kind of got this. Well, I'm here to tell you. 90 horsepower is that magic number that you will never notice a lack of horsepower. It just kind of is. Even in a five, six hundred pound bike, you'd be amazed. 90 horsepower is something you probably don't have the balls to ask an engine, a motorcycle engine to make. Well, if you're really honest with yourself, there's a very, very few circumstances on public roads that you can unleash 90 horsepower at one time responsibly. Like other I mean, than maybe passing three semis at once. Well, I have done that, but but yes, but 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 I mean, like there, there's, can you do it for more than a second or two on any bike on public roads? Certainly not in the presence of a cop. No, like, <laughs> and, and and for how long, you know. If you if you own 
an R1 that's making like 180 or 190 horsepower and you've done all your mods to it and everything, how many seconds have you actually, in the lifetime of the bike, had it at wide open throttle? Yeah, well, again, uh, this uh, because it's l- a little bit low revving, but more revving than a Harley, it, it at least goes to 7,000 RPM. It lets you rev it out and lets the bike give you that satisfying shake a little bit more than like a mm. Harley would. You remember how excited we were for the, the Roadster? Yeah. And we wanted it to be perfect. We're like, oh my gosh, it's this classic almost British looking kind of thing, but it's unmistakably American and Harley. It's like a V twin cafe racer. It's a Harley with real suspension that can go around corners. And it was just kind of the wrong engine for it. Yeah. It needed but this is some... almost the same horsepower and torque numbers. I mean, I think, I think of a Harley 1200 is like 10 more horsepower than this or something like that, but, mm-hmm. but whatever it, it again the 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 ten and a half eleven horsepower my Vespa's making. Um, yesterday I got that sp- same speed sign to clock me at fifty six miles per hour. Right? Yeah. And like when I saw it say fifty six, I like because I was in like full tuck. I got up. I went like yes. Like the car that was behind me like pulled up next to me at the next light, and they were laughing their asses off. <laughs> They're like, we saw what you did. What you were trying to do. It's a you know ten horsepower will get. I mean, if I I really think if I have a long enough straightaway, even with me on it, that scooter will pull me to sixty miles an hour with. 11 or slightly less horsepower maybe 60 indicated i don't think it'll be an honest 60 no this is 60 from from the from the the speed trap which is more accurate i'm willing to bet than the speedo it was not 56 on the speedo of my vespa because the speedo doesn't work on my vespa oh yeah that's true this was from (laughs) this was from the the radar trap uh, I don't think radar traps are even close to accurate. I think they're more dubious than speedos. But what well, depends on they're calibrated, right? They're I capable th- of being perfectly accurate. I know that my speedo, you know, as measured by GPS, is like a solid eight percent slow or eight percent fast. I'm just saying, if I've seen spe- I've seen speed traps indicate higher and lower than than my speedo i'm just saying on our roughly 230 pound vespas with 152 stroke motors making 10 horsepower give or take 50 something miles per hour is very attainable it doesn't even take that much i mean they could go faster it's more a lack of gear ratio 15 20 seconds of straight road and you get it right yeah so i just wanted to shit on your point a little bit but But 65 horsepower is so much more than you think yeah right 65 horsepower is what you know fifth harley davidson 1500 motors were cranking out in the early 2000s and you know those can all do 100 miles an hour right this one weighs 250 pounds less, at least, right? It's it's not slow, right? It's just realistic. It's still really fast off the line because it's big torque. I Yeah. It's got more torque, is probably faster off the line than like a 90s Jixxer 750. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is. I think we're we are kind of starting to get this sort of thing a little bit more with like the the new KTM's. I the Rebel Eleven Hundred is kind of doing this, but we just need it in the the naked style or yeah. just something a bit more of a UJM style, even. Yeah, but uh, well, I think that lends all the credibility it needs. Is that we're well, now what about this also this. with a Tenere Seven Hundred motor? Yeah, well, I mean, the Tenere Seven Hundred is essentially just the uh, the, the MT Seven. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess yeah. Which is which is kind of more of a precursor to what everybody else is doing. Yeah, but I now guess the big of, thing about this is it's huge displacement, so understressed. So, but that's also because it's air cooled. Yeah, but again, that that lowers the maintenance. That lowers every. Uh, yeah, I and mean, it doesn't matter because it's not it's not revving that high, so it's not producing that much heat. That's true. There's also kind of a trade-off with just like having a lower displacement number, just reducing your insurance in a lot of countries as well. That's true. So having a liquid-cooled motor offsets it a little bit. Um, but now we're actually kind of seeing this meeting in the middle between like something like the MT-07 and this in these new modern, you know, parallel twin sport bikes that are now in this kind of 800 cc range parallel twin liquid cooled we're seeing all we're seeing this convergence i like it yeah yeah a little bit oh and the last point is the bulldog what a home run of a name and doesn't it fit the bike perfectly how did neither triumph nor enfield nor Ariel, like Ariel BSA, none of them made a bulldog. Yeah, how did everyone miss that? I know. Yeah, and and then you know Yamaha just picks it up for a UK only model that they're making. That's good. I like it. All right, let's put a little bit of a break in here and then, or just want to go straight into the, the, the things on uh, the, uh, the bike let's, stickers. Let's take a quick break. All right, let's do that. And we're back. So here we go. We're going to talk about missing stickers on bikes or stickers that are no longer on bikes. So I just noticed while I was looking at a bunch of old 90s sport bikes the other day that there's a lot of stuff that's just not put on the sides of bikes anymore. 90s and 2000 sport bikes used to have a lot of text on them, probably the bikes with the most text ever. But even going back to bikes from the 50s and stuff, there are things that were just put on the sides of bikes that simply aren't anymore. So, well, I think the biggest one that most people will recognize who have any interest in, you know, 60s through 80s bikes is double overhead cam. Yeah, or even single overhead cam. My CB350 proudly had soHC like cast into the head 
into the the valve cover uh, on the engine. And yeah, any bike that was dual overhead cam was uh, was broadcasting it into fucking space, right? There were stickers on yeah, the were back. Inch said, high, like it wasn't even it was yeah it wasn't even like a sticker or like etched in. It was stamped like it was raised like in the cast itself. Or if it was just a st- a decal on the side of the bike, you're right. It was always at least an inch tall. Any bike from yeah 1980 through 2001 or something, if it was dual overhead cam. You could know by just simply looking if you didn't if you couldn't recognize where the second cam was above the engine, you would find the letters DOHC on that bike for sure. And again, even a lot of 60s and 70s bikes were just proud of being overhead cam rather than pushrod. So they would put overhead cam or or SOHC, single overhead cam, very proudly as well. That overhead cam was, you know, like Honda was uh, very proud of making their overhead cam four-stroke singles to race at the Isle of Man. That was a big deal. They weren't pushrod engines. They could get a lot more RPM. I mean, they were making these like 49 cc motors that did like 17,000 rpm at the isle of man you know or whatever crazy shit they were doing because that's how they gained their speed and it was a big deal and you just don't see it anymore i i don't know why well i think it's just because unless you've got something niche like a unless you've got a harley or I mean, even now, most Harleys are double overhead cam with the Milwaukee 8s. But unless you've got something like a Thunder Horse from Indian that is so deliberately uh, pushrod. And, and nowadays, if you've got like an 1800cc pushrod motor, like it doesn't need to be advertised. You can see the channels for the pushrods. But you can, but wouldn't it still be worth it if it just said push rod somewhere in the casting? It's just another thing to show off because the whole point is to be showy. It Whether is. it's high tech or low tech, right? The The feature is that it's throwback and low tech. Oh, man, I know it's new, but just for you, it's old school because we know what an old soul you are. So, hey, how about... How about you make sure that all those candy-ass hipsters with their man buns as they're walking into the microbrewery walk by your bike, and even though they can't tell a pushrod from a dildo, they'll be able to read it on the side of your bike and know what a real man you are. (laughs) Right? Well, as, as goofy as Indian can be sometimes, they are a little bit more refined than that. Uh, except the, <laughs> for the fact that on they the only thing they decide to stamp into their engine casings is since whatever imaginary year they've decided they were established. Yeah, same basic concept. Yeah. So but- why not just stamp push rod on the side of it somewhere? 
Yeah, that, that's kind of like... Um, the answer is, is that no one knows the difference between a push rod and a dildo. Yeah. No one. <laughs> I mean, kind of on that note, like... It's sort of like... I mean, the way they do it, it's sort of, you know, claiming to be established back when the original Indian Motor Company was created. It's sort of like modern Israel, like, claiming, like, heritage from biblical events. I have to correct you real quick, though. I was going to let it go, but I know we're going to get angry things. The The Milwaukee 8 still push rod. It's just four valve. Oh, what's the what's the overhead cam one? The Revolution motor, the Pan America motor, I think might be overhead. Oh, cam. right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I'm not one hundred percent sure on that. It must be though. I think it's dual overhead cam, and yeah, and I think even the the motor. I think even the the bullshit motors in the. Um, Oh my gosh, the the five hundred and the seven fifty. Uh, I think those might have still been two round push rod. I'm not entirely sure. I'll bet the the Pan America. I think is overhead cam. Finally. Oh yeah, so I yeah I was talking about the the new motor. You're right, but good for. But anyway, yeah, bullet dodged. So. <laughs> All right, so so not to dwell on that too much, but people used to care about that because that is a, an indicator of performance, right? Yeah. And I mean, all, there's so many of these tech things, but let's well, get I mean, even, even more then, basic even than then, that. Like, I mean, it kind of also made sense because, you know, even though Harley is is still making the uh, the pushrod motors, they're still making them to, you know, what is relative to what they used to be a very high standard of quality. I mean, the last, I mean, you would much rather at the time, uh, in, in the era of the CB 350, you would much rather have a budget overhead cam motor than a budget push rod motor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, also, it's just so much easier to adjust the... Well, I don't know if it is easier to adjust those or to adjust push rods. Adjusting push rods isn't really that hard. Anyway, um, it's... Well, really, with Honda's little, um, like, uh, nut and screw system, it's about the same thing as adjusting uh, push rods anyway. There's a certain clearance that they have to have. Yeah. Once the tolerances are low enough, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, they're pretty big tolerances on a lot of like, you know, 80s and older Harleys. It's a pretty <laughs> big tolerance on those. But anyway, so um, and so uh, let's go about even more basic than the valve systems. Uh, oh, here's one. Here's a really good one. I'm going to just jump in right here. Electric start. Yeah, yeah. The, so uh, models that had electric start used to put like an E in the name. Right. So there's, you know, there's a, there's uh, like a, the Electroglide with the, yeah, Electroglide, but there was like a, a, a Bonneville, you know, T120E, right. And all that stuff. And yeah, there were bikes that were sort of, I don't know if they were badged that way. Um, 
But it was definitely at least in the model name, which is sort of at least adjacent to what we're talking about. The the name of the bike would would boast about the technology involved. But I was going to say With things just that are a fucking gigantic electric start button. Yeah, yeah, they were <laughs> unnecessarily large for a long time, and and always red. So uh, the the idea of the. Um, well, I, I don't know if this is still done, but I bet this is more common than we realize. But quite often, somewhere on the jugs, especially on air-cooled bikes, they would have the displacement cast into it as well. Mm-hmm. So on a lot of old Hondas, like any Honda CB, if you usually, I th- want to say on the left side of the bike, right at the base of the jug, if you kind of put put your head in there it'll have how many cc's the bike is and usually oddly enough this was the true number of cc's so if you looked at it on a cb350 you would say you know 300 and like 38 cc's or whatever the the actual number of cc's is on the bike and the cb750 would say like 736 or whatever the the real number of of um cc's the bike is or was it 728 it's a weird no it's it's a little smaller than you think uh, a cb 750 is really more like a it's kind of closer to a 725 um and then i i don't know i i haven't seen that on a motor for a while like if it's still cast in a lot of engines, it's really hidden deep down in there somewhere. If they even bother to do it, but that's right. something people would look for. Go, okay, I know it says seven fifty, but how many CCs really are this? And you could go and kind of check, right? Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know, that's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then, well, let's get back to the valves here. A lot of bikes especially 90 sport bikes would have stickers on the side telling you how many valves are in the motor. This was a big, big deal. So, uh, uh, not my ZX 16 Ninja, but other ones of like the, you know, the year of, and the year before had, were very proud to say 16 valve, valve yeah. on the side in inch high letters. Well, that was a big milestone for a lot of bikes. It really was. I mean, well, I mean, it still is what everybody really has in terms of inline four motors. Except it's not though. Like uh, we're now that we're in a kind of a post horsepower world, we're kind of getting back to less cylinders, less we are valves. Now. It's usually it's more often than not four valves per cylinder, right? But I mean, I I think if you've got a V twin bike, you, you know, if it says V twin eight valve, right, that's still something cool to put on a bike. I do you know so the the motor in uh, my Norge, I think it was new in like two thousand. The motor was new in two thousand and four. Do you know what they called it? No. It's it's the Moto Guzzi Quattro Valvo. All right, there you go. <laughs> well, 
we've made an eight valve v twin we are so fucking proud of ourselves yeah 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 <laughs> well yeah that ties right into this uh yeah so moto Guzzi, it would yeah it would say quattro valvo or something like that or also ducati or it's not quattro quattro valvo yeah yeah ducati went as far as to almost name an entire line of their bikes you know desbo sedici off of this concept it's not even the number of valves ducati was particularly proud of the type of valve right yeah or or the type of valve actuator right in in the 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 desmo in the desmo valve so the bikes would say desmo city or would or desmo so they're desmodromic valves but they would say desmo sedici or just desmo on any bike that had it because it was like hey this has got the good stuff in it mm-hmm. right well actually along the same lines here's an honorable mention vtech right so that's a whole category in itself all these companies would have some sort of air or valve technology that they had patented and branded themselves and they would plaster it on the side of the bike so all the yzfs would say x up and all the suzukis would say s rad and you know now now as i think about this we both have uh dirt bikes that have five valve stamped on the heads that's true they're also 15 or or in your case almost 20 year old bikes yeah mine's like 19 years old right (laughs) this is further proving the point (laughs) yeah that's it's just not a thing people really seem to care about anymore you know when i bought that that uh ssr uh 70 off that guy the other day i was i was looking at his um his uh kx250 f and i was just and i was like oh are these are these four or five valve he's like five it's like yeah yeah all the yz's are five valve have been for a long time he's like oh i don't know anything about that and he was a mechanic I, I and I only know this because he had the bike in his shop, and I went down to his shop to pick it up. Mm. Uh, so I was like, yeah, okay. And there, I don't know, but he didn't know. He didn't care. He'd never opened up the engine or what. He's like, oh, I just bought it and I ride it. I don't know. But no one cares. Is ultimately the reason that people don't put this stuff on there anymore. That's sadly this world of old guys that are tired after a lifetime of working on stuff and just want it to work. And then other dudes with man buns that never want to bother to learn. And it's sad that this stuff doesn't move models anymore, but it was a cooler time. I feel like when we could, when we would boast about this stuff, it's, it's sort of the equivalent of um, in the mid nineties to early two thousands of seeing like the Pentium Intel inside sticker on a PC. Yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah, those are great stickers. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Well, and, 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 you know, when you had the Pentium sticker, even when the Pentium 2 came out and, you, and someone would have a Pentium 2 sticker on theirs, you'd go, well, I at least know with this sticker, anyone that walks by my desk knows that I'm up to a certain level of prestige, even if it's not the top. I'm still, I'm still, you know, yeah, I know where I stand. Yeah. And you can also look at, you, you can say like, okay, I can't play Warcraft 2 on this computer, but I can play System Shock. Or marathon, <laughs> so <laughs> you could play marathon. You, you could even play marathon on the Apple. It was about the only thing you could play. <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> I remember the first time I saw Doom running on a Mac. I was like, "You, what black magic is this?" <laughs> so, um, okay, I. So moving the moving the lens out a little bit further, here's something you don't see. Occasionally, you would see bikes that just had the engine configuration put on the side of the bike. It would say, especially on uh, bikes that were fully fared and V-twin, it would say V-twin. Or at the very least, the fact that it was a V-twin was... Um, built into the model name and that was displayed so you would so uh, like all those honda interceptors had giant stickers on the side that said v4 like across the belly pan because it was a big deal that they were a v4 and a lot more bikes had a little smaller sticker on the tail you know, and there were bikes that would say inline four or I four or whatever, you know, and um, I, I don't know, that doesn't happen anymore. No one gives a shit what the engine configuration is. Mm. I, I mean, parallel twin doesn't really have the ring to it that V twin does or or inline four or V four or whatever, but you know. And and this is sort of in conjunction with a phenomenon. And uh this modern phenomenon is well I'll explain it this way. In the in the pantheon of dudes I cannot hang out with, dude that doesn't know which engine option he's got in his car. Yeah. I, maybe you don't need to know the number of valves. Maybe you don't need to know or be able to conjure up at any moment what the red line on your car is or how many gears it has or what. But I need you to know if you've got the four cylinder or the six cylinder or the eight cylinder. And if that's a straight or a V or a boxer or whatever, especially if you have a Subaru, you need to know if you've got a flat six. Well, even if you're not really a car person, presumably you registered the car. Or let's say you really, truly know nothing about this car. You don't know how to change the oil. You don't know how to do the brakes. This is information you need to give to the tech when you're calling to make the appointment at the dealership to have the work done. Yeah. This is basic shit. (laughs) But anyway... But yeah, but, but people have no fuck. I'll tell you, none of my employees have any fucking clue what engine is in their car. They, I, y- y- 
I, you, mm, I, <laughs> there's no information that they know less. In fact, I, they could sooner name all the Supreme Court judges currently sitting on the bench than tell me what kind of engines in their goddamn car. It's sad. It's really sad, but it's true. And 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 there we go. That so I, increasingly people don't give a shit what kind of engines even in their bike, and that's fucking weird. Yeah. I still think most people care, but it's creeping in, right? And the fact that the displacement's not on the side of the bike very often now, and 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 all of that, I, I mean, I don't need to, I don't need you to know, like what the last two digits of your engine displacement is, but. I do. I I need you to tell me if you've if you've got a six fifty, I need you to know if it's north or south of six fifty cc's. Actually, yeah. That that's all I need. High or low? That's all I'm asking for. Yeah. So uh, here's here's one kind of another one related that yeah you, know, you used to see plastered all over the sides of bikes, and Harley Davidson. No, not Harley, but no, we'll move on to that one later. Um, the model name of the bike used to be plastered all over the bike really big. Like F4, the letters, the alphanumeric F4I, this told us the name of the bike, that it was a Honda, and the engine configuration all in one fell swoop. And it took up the whole fucking side of the bike. It was F4I in huge ass letters, right? And it would say, or it would say CBR in giant letters, you know? Um, Anymore, like R1 and R6 and R3 are on the sides of bikes, but they're in these teeny tiny letters, Right. It's not even obvious it's the name of the bike. So it might be like, what's an R3? That's the name of this bike. Oh, right. And well, they're you- also kind of designed in a way that you could conceivably think that an R3 is an R6. And you could conceivably think at a glance that an R6 is an R1. That's kind of how they're designed these days. And I hate that. I know, it's bullshit. No, if you have an R3, you need to ride around with the badge of shame that you don't have an R6. And, and you, save and from you R6 need, to R1. You just R1. need to own it. And that's what sells R1s. Yeah, you just need to own it. And and and, and rep it proud. Yeah. And so the the yeah, yeah, like I said, R1 used to be massive on the side of bikes, but so would it was so, so would say VFR, you know, or or GSXR. You know, or or ZX, whatever. These used to be gigantic on the side of bikes, or at least prominently displayed on the tail sections, or whatever. Um, and I mean, even in some cruisers and things, like you could find the name of the bike on the side of the thing, right? Right. And, and standard model bikes too. I mean, think about. Uh, um. I mean, even classic bikes would do that. 
but there's just no I think about all the old bikes that would have uh, like the name of it like on well no I guess that's now I was about to say but that's where the license plates were like the big things on the on the fenders but the, the fins on the fenders but that's not right anyway the bike model names used to be plastered and almost like ubiquitously the model name would designate something about the engine size or some sort of technology in the bike, right? Like the VMAX said VMAX pretty prominently on the side covers, right? You know, all those cruisers would say something about the bike and at least like the trim. Well, level every and- single CB said what it was, had a side cover yeah, with the entire length of the side whether it was cover. an R or an F or an E or a C, yeah, the whole side cover told you. It's yeah, it would tell you the displacement, and then here's the other thing too. A little fun fact for you: the Honda, the Honda naming system tells you the engine configuration as well. So, all Hondas, all Honda CBs are configured that it's an inline engine. That's not a word, but call it. Sorry. Are configured <laughs> that the engine is cross of the frame, right? That's what the C is for. It's it's cross. It's across the I frame. Don't, I mean, I know that's a very consistent application. I've, ne- I've, I've heard that before. I've never seen anything to confirm that. Well, no, it's true because even single cylinder Honda CBs, it's that way. The 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 crank is coming out the side, right? It's not a single cylinder with a shaft going back, mm. right? Those would be CX if if the engine's turned the side way, right? And the X is because it's crossed up from the CB. Anyway, th- there's a whole thing to it. Like every Honda model the the designation tells you what the engine configuration ba- basic engine configuration is that's that's how they work what before a honda's made you could you know and harley davidson's are kind of the same way but it has a lot more to do with the frame than it does the motor and what kind of parts of the motor or whatever right so it used to be a really big deal i mean harley the name designations of the are like star signs there is a science to it but you know it's it's like knowing all the rules in nfl football like who has time who has time exactly just know that there is some sort of method to it whether it's sensible or not there is a method but again for there was a big deal that the name was put on the side of the bike and it told you something about it but now that no one gives a shit it's just not a big deal which leads me to my next one. Just the manufacturer's name used to be plastered all over the bike. Now we're lucky to get it on the stator cover. Now, Indian and Harley are pretty good about letting you know that it's an Indian or a Harley. But I look up a 2021 model Honda or Yamaha or Suzuki of of any kind look up a uh, account you know well yamaha just presumes that everybody knows their three tuning fork badge yeah which ever and then go as far as to call their cruisers a different name yeah but 
Look, nobody who isn't into motorcycles knows what the Yamaha badge looks like. And when do you know why? Because in every other branch of industry that Yamaha is involved in, they don't use it. They just write Yamaha on it. Oh, no, they have no. The musical instruments do, but it's actually a slightly different uh, tuning <laughs> forks. Like it's like they either do or don't cross in the middle, something like that. They're actually the Yamaha motorcycles three tuning forks is different than the Yamaha instruments tuning forks. And apparently Yamaha people get really pissed off when they're confused or used incorrectly. So if you look at a Yamaha piano, it will have the tuning forks, but if you look very closely, it's a slightly different tuning forks logo. Yeah, it's but it'll also say Yamaha in inch high letters. Yes. It across will. it. It will. And probably more prominently than the bikes do. Yeah. yeah. The bikes don't have Yamaha written on them. They just have the tuning fork logo embossed on the tank. Yeah. And that's it. It's not a good look. Like, I miss people really repping the brands super hard. I do. It was fun. It is fun. Now, Harley was taking it to a big extreme a few years ago where every Harley Davidson on average said Harley about 3,000 times. And they've toned it down a little now. But by all means, it should be on the side of the tank. And this goes way back. Think about how awesome the old Triumph no, tank badges are. I, I say are. Every, every single bike, every single car, make and model number, make and model each at least once, no more than twice. That's it. Done. I, bikes are a little different because you've got each side of the tank, which is cool. Then you can also have it like on the gas cap. You can have it on. I mean, nope. there's so many. At least once, no more than twice. That's I it. I don't know. I, don't know. I might be able to fight you a little bit on that one. You don't need a plastered. Well, I don't know. I think graphic wise, it's awesome. Just plaster it across the side of a bike. Like the old <laughs> Yamaha racing stuff, and like especially when like the name is across the side of the bike, but it's missing the negative space in between panels and 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 tank and stuff like that. I always love that. Um, and if not the name, at least the logo, like the Honda Power Sports wing on the side of CBRs, that needs to come back in a really strong way, or at least in the Repsol way, where like the stripes on the side of the bike are reminiscent of the Power Wing. Right? Mm, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's great. It's no, really I'm, I'm sticking to my guns on this. Um, okay. Other things. Uh, here's one that's disappearing. So this was almost always cast on the side, on the, on the, into the cases of bikes. And increasingly it's not there or just a sticker because sometimes it's legally required. The bike's shift pattern. What the fuck is up with this? Well... This is actually functional. Well, it is. But also, you know, for the last 50 years or so, everyone's had the exact same shift pattern. Except for small displacement bikes. There's a lot of small displacement bikes, especially when you have stuff with like centrifugal clutch, 
where you know it's neutral at the top and then four down or neutral at the bottom four up or just three well for dirt bikes but not for street legal bikes oh yeah there's a lot of those underbone bikes that are you know first up neutral and then second third fourth down and and weird things like that there's all kinds of are there how many Like, At least besides, as many as there are variations in the dirt bikes, because like they all share motors. I don't know. I think it's just like ninety nine percent of bikes on the road. It's one down, and then I personally, right now, own four different shift patterns <laughs> in bikes. Well, yes, but two of those patterns are dirt bikes. Yeah. Anyway. It, yeah, I I agree. The one down, five up, or six up, or four up, or whatever, is yeah, one down and up is well, even, very very common. But yeah. it would be nice to know before you set off. Is there a fifth gear on this bike? The shift pattern would tell you that. You know, is there a sixth gear on this bike? It it would just be good information to know. I mean, you're gonna find out quickly. But I I feel like that's information you should be able to determine very easily before you take off. That's not an unreasonable thing to want to know. Well, hell, this, the, the CB1000 doesn't even fucking tell you what the extra lever does to switch from 5 low to 5 oh, yeah. high. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's weird. Like... It just used to be a characteristic of bikes that cast into the metal next to the lever would be the shift pattern. And it's not really there anymore. They just put a sticker when they have to. And if it's a sticker, well, people just remove it. And there you go, right? Uh, it's a little bit sad to me. Let's see. I am indifferent. What else is a thing that used to be on the side of bikes? I feel like I had a couple more, but I don't know. We've spent a good amount of time on this. It's I just thought it was worth going through this because it's something that we've lost. It was something we can get back very easily. But I thought the days of plastering details about the bikes on the side was more fun. I, you know, and also it, a part of it too was that a lot of these bikes and a lot of these practices came out in days where you might hear that a new bike was coming out, but you didn't have a smartphone in your pocket and you didn't have every article that was written about it four months before it even comes out available to you. So it might be like, I don't know, is the new model, whatever, whatever going to be double overhead cam. So the bikes, I mean, it was just, like hearing about like new Nintendo cheat codes. Yes. Yeah. And, and so like the bikes would have to sort of advertise their features a little bit as well. That would that would inform buying position, like uh, buying information. Like it would help sell bikes. It'd be like I don't know. I know that the new Ninja has this because I've seen one. It has the sticker on it that says. But I think it provided a better, even secondary function of just the bragging rights on the streets. It helped make you feel a certain way. You'd be like, mm, my bike is 16 valve. And whatever that actually translated to in the real world of power, 
isn't even close to what it would do for you emotionally. Right. Right. So as we said, you know, 65 horsepower is enough that you'll almost never, you know, feel a lack of power as long as you've got the big torque behind it as well. Right. So if, if, if there was some, if there was some sort of sticker on the side of that bulldog that said, you know, the torque to weight ratio or something, something to let you, something for you to grasp onto. Right. Or if it said 1100 cc's really big on the side, right. That would be something to grasp onto to emotionally make you feel a certain way about it, even though it has no, it doesn't change the impact of the performance at all. It does because it changes your perception. One anchor points. Yeah. Yeah. It's something to hang your hat on. I miss that. I just do. Yeah. Okay. And we should we get to emails? Uh, We should take a quick break because I did not prepare for this. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with emails because there's a lot to catch up on here. And we're back finally for a long-awaited Swiggy Reads the Emails Drunk. And uh, you're at least five beers in, right? Uh, Maybe more. Approximately. Should I take one of these Michelob Ultras off your hands? Go for it. I've only had one. Yeah, I'm grabbing one of these. Hold on. Well, I got a whole case here, so. (laughs) Of course (laughs) you do. Okay. All right. First email. I don't know if the whole first three lines in like three times font and bold is intentional. But I want to think that it is. This is from Mark. And Mark's uh, email is titled, ADVs are a craze. That's craze. Great title. Very strong. Although the kids these days would have said, that's cray. But we're talking about adventure bikes, so I'm going to extend a lot of slack here. Yeah. All right. And he says, your show is the only non-adventure riding podcast I listen to with the exception of Cleveland Moto. After hearing Pete in the Lysing Contingency episode suggesting ADVs are a style at the end of a craze and putting it in the same category as naked bikes is ridiculous. Pretty much all bikes are one-trick ponies with the exception of ADVs and to a lesser extent, tricked-out scramblers. Okay. He says, I predict you may say dual sports, but you're not riding across the country with all your gear on one. Now that the two of you are getting into dirt bikes, in time you'll see the power of the ADV. It's the evolution of riding for us middle-aged men who are beyond form and purely into function, and it's never going away. The Pan American, which you say came out too late, is inaccurate. It's for Harley riders who are loyal to American-made and want to do something more than just go straight. The PA checks all the boxes. I listen to your show much of the time when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm trying to fall back to sleep when I'm laying. Oh, okay, this is when he's whining about. Yeah, apparently we're also his nightmare fuel. Which I... 
if you were trying to convince us to stop using the rev limiter as the show break, like that's that's not gonna help. Oh, the fucking rev limiter is here to stay. <laughs> I, we knew we were gonna use the rev limiter as a little like segment stinger before we recorded the first episode. I'm pretty sure it was in the first episode. It might have been. I think it was. I used to have to edit them into each one before I put them into this app. But yeah. If anyone's curious, by the way, it's uh, it's an 03 Jixer 600 yeah. <laughs> is the specific bike. But so, yeah. okay, so let's let's address the point here, which I think is he he's comparing uh, ADVs to dual sports, which I think is a false choice. Unless you're talking about unless you're unless you're putting all of the middle sized bikes into the dual sport category or into the adventure category, I, I feel like it's a false choice. Because it it I mean it's sort of like saying that there's nothing between like a minivan and an SUV. It's like pretending that the station wagon doesn't exist. Well, I think, well, let me put it this way. So I think that the adventure bike is like a four-wheel drive Suburban or, or big pickup truck kind of thing. And I think your, like, Wiestrom, not Wiestrom, but like the 650 V-Strom, and what's the the Kawasaki 650 adventure bike? The uh, the Versus 650 are sort of more your um, minivan's not the right word, but your it's sort of like the like like a Suzuki Vitara kind of yeah they're kind of like your Jeeps no they're not they're they're something else they're um. They're kind of like your Jeep Rubicons, but I I I I think that the um, the the six fifty bikes, as you do too, are kind of the perfect actual thing. And I don't know what car they kind of fit into in terms of off roading, but you know they're the lightest weight. They're not side by sides because they go further than side by sides. They're road legal as well, but they're there's some they're, they are the magic formula. I think. You can yeah. put boxes and luggage on them and everything. Are they as comfortable? I don't know. It depends to what degree you want to mod one out to to fit you. But I, I, if I'm going the world over, I want a 650 single. Yeah. That's... I want a 650 single Japanese with parts that are shared with an equivalent 250 and 450 model that yeah. I can be assured will be available in whatever country I'm in. Yeah. Any Low compression between 30 and 40 horsepower, uh, if yeah. even. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I want, I want 450 horsepower in a 650 with um, another 100 pounds of weight on the bike itself. And then also be able to load all my gear up on it and have bigger shocks and everything. 
Yeah, I want the manufacturer to tell me it's like a two or three thousand mile oil change, so I know I can go five or six. Right. And and yes, I mean, if you've got the money, then you can go for a lot of these bigger bikes. And you know what? They're just also just kind of fun, and there's a lot of prestige to them. But it's also there's also another element to it, which is how many of the how many GS twelve fifties have ever even witnessed gravel. Well, I mean, that's an old, tired argument. Uh, everyone knows this. I'm saying it doesn't matter what most people are using them for. What this guy is saying is what are they capable of? These are two different things. Right. We know- well, we're, we've also gone on a little bit of a tear recently on like how much how like, bullshit dual sports actually are. With the it's exception the of the 650s. Well, right. and even the 250s are starting to get seriously legit now. It's not the entire concept is bullshit, the, but the concept of a high-performance dual sport is bullshit. Right. You have to accept the trade-off in lower performance. And for me, that magic happens in like the, the XR650L, or now it's the CRF650L, or the DR650, or the KLR650. That's sort of that magic zone. Like, if I could just transport you back in time to the moment when Mike dropped his Buell into a ditch on the side of the road in Texas. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you could have been there and had to just pick that bike up when that bike was sitting at negative 45 degrees. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, see, no, I was there, though, because remember, he dropped it within the first 30 miles, and it was the same situation where it was facing downhill, and I had to pick (laughs) it up in the snow. (laughs) Yeah. I don't need to be transported there. I was there, man. (laughs) I mean, the the Yuli's a great bike, but it's a big, heavy son of a bitch, and if it had been a 650 life would have been easier well i mean the other the other thing is like if it's an adventure bike is there anything that screams adventure to you in which you want to be concerned with resale value yeah well i think the other thing about the adventure thing for me is I don't think they they don't really seem to be all that off-road capable. And people are just going to do a bunch of spit takes with that and think I'm insane. And someone's going to send me a video of someone going up the side of a mountain with one. And yeah, I've seen videos of people doing hard enduro with like Tenere 750s and stuff. But these are people who are insanely talented at riding off-road. And your average writer, every time I see a video of of people using these things, look, people are using them off road. They're doing like BDR trails and it's just like great big wide, just off road, like easy beginner trails. It's like six of them being led by, you know, a a tour guide, you know, here in the mountains in Colorado. And there's nothing. I'm like, I'm like, why? I could ride a road king on that. 
Yeah. I mean, what this designs this bike's designed to go through puddles easier, I guess, with the higher exhaust. But I mean, you know, if you just make sure you stay on the throttle, your exhaust can go underwater. I promise you. <laughs> you need to make sure you stay on that throttle though. But I yeah, I mean, fuck. I what I what I've ridden sport bikes on off-road is a little ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know what's inherently so capable about those bikes. Given the extra weight, is all I'm saying. Maybe I will see the light. But as of right now, I think there are better options, and I think they're the 650 singles. Yeah, I I, I want to have the bike that I've dropped like in the dark, in the jungle, for the seventh time in an evening, and I don't know how far it is to the next village. And I'm still okay picking it up again. And everything's going to stay bolted and welded in place. I don't know if that's a well, 1250. We need, to, we need to make sure that we're intellectually honest in this critique, though, because he said, you, you know, it's for these. He admitted it's a bike for these middle aged guys that are kind of past their their physical prime as well. So the comfort is a big part of it. The for him, he's saying, you know, us guys that you know are a little softer in the middle now. It's a cushy bike that's better geared for off road, and they don't care about the price because they're you know in their late fifties and they've they've got a little they've got a few extra dollars than some of us to throw around on a bike. And comfort's important to them to to some extent. You know, when you're older, how comfortable a bike is a bike is, is almost a performance characteristic because can you stand to ride it for that long? That's true. And yeah, well, that's true while everything's going well. Yeah. But if you're riding, if you're on an adventure bike, yes, there is the kind of the coasting highway factor, but also just like, how good is it when everything's not going well? Yeah. And again, the, well, not again, but uh, another great, uh, great argument against the great big heavy adventure bike is any random episode of C90 Adventures. Yeah. Although that guy has balls of steel. <laughs> he really does. The, there, There is a youthful element in that of somebody who's just willing, who's just game for anything. Yeah, but I think that I think doing all the stuff that he's done on a KLR six fifty is a is a nice medium of still having pretty big balls, but not risking death on an almost daily basis <laughs> by stranding yourself in the desert or whatever. But yeah. yeah. Alright, next email. Alright. Next email is from John. And this is uh in response to episode one fifty says, I'm listening to episode one fifty in the worst bike segment, I couldn't agree more with your statement that you shouldn't buy your dream bike first. Back in 2016, I got my chance to get back into motorcycling after a 10-year hiatus. I did a shitload of research and decided that a Honda VFR 800 was my dream bike because I wanted a sport bike, but I wanted to be a responsible adult and have the option of luggage to haul groceries or something. Since I was an adult with real money, it was within my reach, and I picked up a leftover new 2014. 
It's a great bike, and that's the problem. It's good at everything, but also I've come to realize it's a dad bike. The trouble is that every time I think about trading it in or trying to justify something new, I always think about what I would give up, like the nice heated grips or the turn signals integrated in the mirrors. This is this is a rare person who is as, as attached to integrated mirrors, uh, turn signals as I am. It's such a genius thing. It doesn't ruin the profile of the bike. The stems never break. They're highly visible to drivers coming at you. That's mm-hmm. the only way that turn signals should be done. It's true. Well, I mean, I, I can come up with arguments against it, but I mean, I'm still not going to argue against them. <laughs> um, anyways, the VFR is just good enough that everything else, that nothing else makes more sense. I feel like I cheated myself by not buying a Ratty 300 or some UJM before this. I didn't get any progression, just a plateau at pretty good. Anyway, thanks for the hours of entertainment. And yes, I already rated you highly. I I already rated you highly on Apple Podcasts after your spectacular Tin Cup tangent. Look at that. He's seen Tin Cup and he loves integrated turn signals. This is... This is our kind of guy. This is a dude we can hang with. So now I will I will just point out straight away. You are absolutely allowed to buy a bike that is worse than the bike you currently own. Well, I think he's a great candidate for the two bike system. Yes. So there's two ways to go about it. And I will start this with when I got rid of the uh, Superhawk in favor of the Vespa. Everybody except Swigs in my life was like, you're doing fucking what? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get pretty good money for the v- for the the VTR. It's still in great shape. It doesn't it needs hardly anything. I did what little maintenance it needed right before I sold it so I could sell it with a good conscience to someone and go it needs nothing. Everything's been done to it, you know. I replaced the the chain and the sprockets right before I sold it and uh and it had uh tires only about a thousand miles on them i had changed the oil and the coolant and i'd i'd checked the fork seals they were fine i i i did new brake fluid uh new brake pads all kinds of stuff um and then um like I said, it was still starting perfectly, like within se- it was one of those bikes where like it started almost before you hit the start button, you know? And mm-hmm. and everyone was just like, and you want to get a scooter? Like what? What? You know, it, it seemed to be a downgrade in almost every possible way, right? Because if you want to be honest, well, as impractical as the Superhawk is. It's good at a larger number of things than the Vespa is. But the Vespa is good at this one particular thing. Well, these two particular things that it's it's better than the VTR then, which is, you know, just it's so much more fun around town. And it brings joy to other people in this amazing way. People love, of well, a, most people, eh, not, maybe not even most, but like 
people don't love Vespas in traffic, but if if they're just st- like people like in par- on park benches and shit, love to see someone go by on a Vespa. Yeah, it brings them joy. It not so much other drivers, but anyway, I just had to rip that bandaid off and just do it because I needed a Vespa in my life. I was like, this is just something also, radically just different. Super jealous of me. I was super jealous of yours, and and there we go. And I just did it, and I have no regrets. And at some point, I may well, also, have to get I rid went... of the Vespa for the same reason. But I realized, and here's the thing, and I think this is where you've come to. You're not tired. Well, you're you're not you don't okay. What you've done with the the with the interceptor is you've done everything you're going to do with it. You know it's still good for things. You know it's still perfectly good. But everything you're going to do with it. You've already done. Right. And you can refresh all these experiences by getting another bike. Think of it like this. When you're, if you've ever had a dog that's died, you're super torn up about it until the day you bring the new puppy home. Right. And then you can't even remember the old dog's name. (laughs) It's true. Like Mm -hmm. you, you, here, you know, it's like it seems like it's the end of the world when you crash your bike until you get that insurance check and then you can't wait to spend it on a new bike and then it's a whole new world again. Yeah, don't crash your interceptor, but do sell it <laughs> ASAP. You'll get good money for it and trade it for something fucking crazy. Who cares? Well, again, if if you're uh, you know if you're out of your twenties and you've got disposable income, you can also use the system that we've gone with, which is never own the same two bikes for more than a year. Yeah, every year, just just decide you're going to get rid of it, and whatever you get, you're only going to have it for a year. Or sorry, buy a second bike and give yourself a year to say goodbye to the to the interceptor. That yeah. would be the system. Yeah. Um, that's two ways to go about it, but you're absolutely right. It's not too late. It's okay that you bought a great bike for your first bike, but if you've got it paid off now, it's time to move on. There's too many bikes to own. I mean, I can barely go a couple months without buying another bike. It seems I, yeah, it's got to be constantly in and out, right? This whole idea of like owning a shit ton of bikes is bullshit. It's too much work to do. You only want a few at a time. Yeah, just cycle through as many bikes as you can. Yes. Well, and it's great too because when you own, plan on only owning a bike for a short amount of time, you don't give a shit how many miles it's got on it, right? You do the maintenance that you have to do or you want to do, and then you sell it again and move on. And you sell it in basically the same condition and relatively the same mileage, you know, within 10,000 miles of how you got the thing. And And you only pay registration and insurance, essentially. Yeah. So you're just you're just you're just reusing your initial investment and you just keep rolling it into the next one. It's not it's not a big deal. 
And then, you, you know, you get to be like, oh, I've owned all kinds of stuff. I had one of these and one of those and whatever. And you might end up with one you hate, but I mean, unlikely. You'll at least know to appreciate certain things about it. I mean, looking back on it, the CB900 I had and the CB1000 Swigs had weren't the greatest bikes in the world in retrospect, but we we loved them at the time. Yeah. So, all right. Next email. All right. Uh, this is one that we should have responded to, but we totally didn't. Uh, this is from Kelly. Or, no, this is from... Well, I'm not going to say his name now because I already said his last name. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> he says, good afternoon. I live in Colorado. My buddy and I put on the antique motorcycle. Uh, you know, this is way too much identifying information. Uh, anyways, we have been invited to Golden, Colorado, or to at least talk with this. Wow, I have butchered this. Okay. Guy in Golden, Colorado wants to talk vintage motorcycles on the podcast. Well, right, but the the well, everyone wants to talk vintage motorcycles on the podcast, but he puts on a vintage motorcycle show every year. Yes. And attached a lot of pictures of very fancy motorcycles, including a, um, a, um, oh my gosh, what's the bike that the junkie ripped us for on the value? Uh, the, um, Aramaki, the Aramaki. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We, we should get in contact with you and we will. So I don't know, maybe before, maybe after this episode airs, but that's an interesting thing. It's a local event. It's vintage bikes. We should be doing it. Okay. Uh, what else we got? So we also, uh, got an email from TC. It says lane splitting is typically classed as dangerous driving in the province of Ontario in Canada. It is not allowed in any other province, to my knowledge. We do the metric system and have Medicare for the population. We also have brutally high insurance rates. Yeah, I think this is in response to when I was like, oh, the U.S. doesn't have lane splitting, but like every other developed country does. Okay, Canada doesn't. North America is not big on lane splitting. Yeah. But it's kind of everywhere else. Yeah, this is just one of the few areas that Canada is dragging their feet in the same way that we are. Yeah, and I know you have oppressively high insurance, but you do also have real insurance. Yeah, like insurance is cheaper in the States, but it's also complete horseshit. And you get fucked out of your claim way more often than is reasonable yes also something that most people don't take into account is that in in canada and the uk and in australia you pay a shit ton for your insurance i don't think we've talked about this in the last two years but i brought it up initially in all of those countries when you have insurance you have unlimited liability insurance 
if you crash into a nuclear power plant and somehow like set off like the next Hiroshima, you are fully covered for all damages. Like you could crash into a classic Ferrari convention and wipe out like a hundred supercars. You are fully covered. Yeah. Well, so uh, well, also, uh, if you're hit by somebody who doesn't have insurance, you're covered as well. That's it. That's that's an add-on. That's a yeah, DLC. here it's an add-on. Well, and and it's hidden from you as well. They actually don't want you to know about it as well because it's a way that they can get out of paying you for your claim. There's a lot of fuckery in American insurance. Yeah, it's cheap because it's shitty insurance. And they like it that way for whatever weird reason. That's it's it's dirty. It's it's uh, politicians are paid are paid off. It's legalized corruption to keep it the way it is. So, yeah, I mean, if no to actually set, I have full coverage on my car, and if I wrecked into a brand new hundred and fifty thousand dollar car, I would be fucked for about a hundred thousand dollars. I actually, well, I bumped my insurance up to like $300,000 liability. And when I did it, I did it over, um, I did it on uh, the website initially. And when I selected that limit, they made me call them. Oh, wow. That's weird. Yeah. I actually had to call to go through with it. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, it's it's fucking crazy. So yeah, Canada doesn't have lane splitting either, but whatever. I I mean, unless you're making some sort of argument that Canada is America light, which I don't believe it is. I love Canada. Um maybe not Quebec, but I love Canada in general. <laughs> but All right, yeah. next email. All right, next email is uh oh um oh yeah this is uh oh, this is a great little tangent we can go on this is uh e- ernie talking about um his bike night down or the bike night down at black shirt brewing in denver that we went to Oh, yes. Um, yeah, so I was going to ride down on the Goldwing, but I couldn't because the plates were out of reg. And anyway. Oh, no. Well, anyway, anyway, it turns out they weren't, but I thought they, I thought it was. Anyway, so I had to go pick up that YZ. I, well, my, my general principle is unless your sticker is more than current year minus one out of date you're not gonna get caught like it doesn't matter yeah but well my other thing is also i i've i've misplaced my driver's license and i was breaking two laws at one time well it used to be that it wasn't a big deal if you didn't have your license on you you would generally have like some time to prove that you do have a driver's license or the cop could just look up that you do have a license you know because the physical card itself isn't your driver's license that's your proof of a driver's license that's your id 
right? Your driver's license is a record that you've passed a test and paid for, right? The card is just the proof of it and an ID. But they've decided, because the cops love more reasons to to hold things over people, that is, at least in Colorado Even though now, they have an internet-connected device in their car. That can prove that you are legal to drive, exactly. It's still like a three-point penalty to not have your driver's license, which is complete horseshit. It used to be for ages that you would have like a day or two to prove that you still have a driver's license. And then for a long time. Nebraska gave me two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. And (laughs) and a lot of the time they just never even gave a shit because the cop could just, if you had some form of ID, the cop could just look up and verify, yep, here's this person and his license shows free and clear. Whoop-de-doo. Right. Oh, there's his proof of insurance as well. We're all good here. Give your full name. And they could look at like the other, they could look at a list of 10 people with your exact name in the state and could see you and see that your license was up to date. Right. But now it is a three point penalty to, to not have it. So I, I just, it's such a pain in the ass to go down and get a replacement. I'm kind of just wanting to ride this out until it expires in another year. <laughs> and and just make sure all my shit's up to date otherwise in the meantime. Wait, so if you get a replacement, does it not renew the expiration date? Uh, well, you can get a replacement or you renew the expiration. Sorry, just getting a replacement is just a replacement card. Well, I don't know, actually. I, 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 th- I don't think it renews the expiration. All I know is that because if it doesn't renew the expiration, it's another reason you have to go back and give them another thirty dollars. Well, I mean this this is important because they're in the business of printing very expensive pieces of plastic. (laughs) Well, I mean the only thing I know is that like my entire existence in society ends in twenty twenty four. All of my credit cards, my debit cards, my driver's license, my passports like green card my existence ends in 2024 yeah <laughs> so anyway for all these reasons i couldn't take down the the motorcycle but we had to go pick up a motorcycle so we trailered the vespas and then we rode the vespas uh down the road to this bike night where there were all kinds of things weird and wonderful mostly expensive and very new motorcycles on the whole, a lot of people rode down very clean, shiny things. I didn't and we see showed a up with dumb, motor- filthy, disgusting, <laughs> dented, loud, noisy, polluting two-stroke scooters. And Mike rode his all the way from Castle Rock. What a hero! What a By hero! By the way, but yeah, it was a good time. People, people were were into the scooters. I did a couple laps up and down, redlining the engine, discovering that the scooter does have a rev limiter, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And uh, or just you met the. We converted two listeners to uh, to the magic that is vintage style scooters. Yeah, and uh, oh, oh yeah. So. Um... Blinking hard. Phil? Yeah, so Cleveland Moto, listen here. We managed to convince a listener 
that he's going to sell his Trail 90 and buy a Vespa 150. Pretty much, yeah. The, um... Yeah, so not only is the Super Cub better, so is the Vespa PX150. There you go. Uh, So... There's two things in my life that are constant, that have the exact same reaction with people. One is the best rally drink in the world, and the other is the Vespa. (laughs) Right? So there's this drink (laughs) that I invented, or me and another person invented, me and my boss invented, and it's called the Garden City Four Loco. And it sounds disgusting. Because it is. No, it isn't. You've had one. It is disgusting, but it's also... Okay. It's disgusting, but occasionally necessary. Garden City is a super, super little trashy neighborhood around here. But the Garden City Four Loco is a Bud Light. You crack it, you take a sip, and then you pour in a grape five-hour energy. And this sounds An off-brand grape flavored five hour energy yeah just a yeah a a grape flavored energy shot i mean you can do mixed berry it's fine but in its purest form it's a bud light with a grape flavored five hour energy you can substitute coors light or whatever but you know in its purest form bud light and grape flavor five hour energy but uh i have had many people and you can do this with PBR as well, whatever you want. But I've had many people I, I've I've prepared one for, and they have this nervous look all the way until the liquid touches their lips. It's a slow motion sip of this beer. And all of a sudden they go back to normal speed and their eyes open up and they go, oh, that's good, actually. And I'm like, yeah, I told you 20 times. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell someone how fun riding... Uh, a twist select you know a shifty scooter is they they look nervous the whole time they get on the bike they kickstart it they put it in first gear and the whole time they're like i don't know man well i'm pretty sure i told ernie like four times that it was a manual scooter and i don't think until i told him the fourth time and actually showed him the left handlebar that he actually believed me well, I think he intellectually knew. He didn't emotionally like click. The, like, yeah. Oh, this is a manual shift thing. Oh, oh, yeah. By the time he got into like third gear as we were going down the road, he just turns to me as we're riding. He's like, yeah, yeah. But it's it's the same thing. Once they actually pull away and change into second or third, they go, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my boss is the same thing. Like I, I at a at a at a meeting, I rode the scooter to it once. He's like, "All right, let me try this thing." Okay, whatever. And he's just sort of like, "Yeah," about it. But then he comes back and he gets off the thing and he points at it, and just goes, "Yes, fuck yes, yes." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you have access, if you know someone that has a scooter like this, you really owe it to yourself. To ride it, because they'll let you ride it. I guarantee, unless it's a Lambretta that's worth a lot of money, they'll let you ride it, and you'll it. I don't. It's it's not thrilling because of the speed, but it's one of those vehicles that makes twenty five to forty five feel faster than it is. 
but that's not even it. It's it just feels distinctly different. And so it's kind of like everything you ride, you get to be riding for the first time again. There's that. There's also this element of mastery to it as well. Yeah, it's 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 technical only because of the way modern traffic is. It wouldn't have been difficult or challenging or technical back in the 60s when there was a tenth of the traffic and everything was half as half as fast. Right, but it's 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 also super technical with a minimal amount of movement at the same time. Yeah. It's it's like bending a note on a guitar and hitting a very specific pitch. Like it's it's super super Yeah, cuz you got the two-stroke power band, but it's not as pronounced as it is in dirt bikes cuz it's actually a fairly low like fairly detuned 150. You could get a lot more power out of it if you wanted to. Right, but you've also got this really ambiguous shifter at the same time. Yeah, you have and to this feel that. super super grippy clutch because the ratio is so low on this motor where if you just let the clutch out a little too quickly, you'll just wheelie this little eight horsepower 150. But at the same time, if you really want to pull away fast, you've got to stay in this really narrow band. Like there's so many like super technical elements to it that you've got to be really precise on to ride it well. But you can just pull away just yeah. knowing the basics of how to ride a motorcycle. Oh, well, um, yesterday, Yesterday I taught uh I taught Claire to ride mine. Mm-hmm. And she had an absolute fucking blast. Uh I we I mean it was probably like 30 minutes of just going up and down the driveway, just getting used to letting first gear out yeah. and me just explaining different things about it and whatever. And there's a lot of killing it and a lot of kickstart and a lot of kicking it eight times. And it's like, Oh, it's cause you hit the, the kill switch and you know, all that stuff. Right. And, uh, she never got into second gear, but she could go down the street and turn around and come back and what I had a blast with it. And, and, uh, Oh, then we rode it around for like 10 minutes two up, which I hadn't done before. And it, did really well actually yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't like take it into a situation where i wanted to consistently be doing 45 to 50 but i feel like it got us up to like 40 for a moment and anywhere within town it was totally reasonable to ride with both of us so yeah uh but anyway the bike night good stuff yes so uh if you're close to denver and close to rhino Black Shirt Brewing, there's a Wednesday bike night, generally six-ish to nine o'clock. Maybe this will become our Porcos, or Porco, whatever the fuck they call it. Anyway, we'll have to go there. Um, Right. Uh, Did we get any more emails for the moment? I want to say... I feel like we did. Uh, We did get Phil... Uh, send us an email and validate it was essentially just validating everything we said about Thunder Valley oh yeah um and then oh uh here we go again this is another scooter related one 
Joseph sent us an email and he said, the reason why your listenership is up is because Jody... Uh, Brodo GP is on hiatus and your passionate rant on Moto3 last episode. It was excellent. Even I got a soul boner listening to Swig's drunken plea to raise the CCs. Plus, you're not talking about scooters anymore. Oh, yes, we They're are. bikes. <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> well, I sent him an email back that said... Um, yeah, you... Yeah. Two wheels, manual shift, with clutch, separate front and rear brake, 55 plus miles an hour, needs a license to operate, takes big balls to ride in traffic, not for the faint of heart. Scooters are legit. Also, scooter rallies are super hardcore. So, yeah. You just don't know. But that's okay. A lot of people don't know. And let's see here. I feel there was another one that I got that you didn't. Let me take a quick look here. Bum, 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 bum. Um, oh, so did uh, there's this one from Leon who's suggesting a game for us to play. And this might have some merit. So I want to say he was from Australia. Well, he's definitely from Australia because he's talking about Woolworths. Oh, well, he yeah. calls it Woolies, but he's well, talking also, about Woolworths, which he's died emailed in the this UK before. He's in a, the early tw- in the early two thousands. He's the coffee guy. Uh, I remember this, and also his <laughs> his email says his name at the bottom. The little watermark says, you know, his name, and then it says General Manager Australia. Okay. <laughs> That's a good clue. And I didn't get that far, but yeah. Yeah, he also uh, left his address and his personal number and his work number and his, I guess, probably the, the address of his work. But yeah. Anyway. You know, I'm giving up on giving people like advice about not sharing personal information at this point. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, so he said he just heard us correct cleveland moto's correction of the top 10 best bikes list he loved that and he says here we go uh you should consider adding a segment to the show where you just review segments from other podcasts he said he listened to that all fucking day we might not make a lot of friends but (laughs) there you go he said so i for one would mainline it hard (laughs) And speaking of segments, got an idea for you. Now, was it as a segment? One of you choose a random bike listing off Craigslist, and then the other one that didn't choose a listing gets to choose whether they would argue for or against the purchase of said bike. Then you debate it. Blah 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 blah. So, uh, I think this is almost right. I think the way to do this is maybe we'll try this next week. I don't know. What if we each found a Craigslist ad? That was right on the verge of being worth it, right? The rule has to be, Hmm. the rule has to be that you have to pay the asking price. Because you don't know what you might be able to talk someone down on. It's, It's an unknowable, right? So it has to be for the asking price. And so we would, and, and there's. There's no winning or losing. It's it's actually the goal would be 
to really stump the other. Would you buy this or would you not? If if you had the money, is this is this deal worth it? So just present the other person with a Craigslist ad they've never seen before. And then you just debate the merits of is this bike worth it, you know, on this day to to us or whatever, is it worth the asking price conceivably? Yeah. I'm okay, so on the first element, in terms of just ragging on other podcast segments. Yeah. I feel like Cleveland Moto has the market covered on that. <laughs> well, for one thing, I mean when we feel compelled to, it's fun. When there's a lot of emotion there. As a regular segment, it gets a little bit Howard Stern. It goes very shock jock. It turns very high fructose. Like, it can't be a regular thing. It can't be a formulaic element. Because otherwise, it just gets cheapened and stupid and a little bit silly. In terms of the um in terms of the Craigslist element, I mean this is kind of a game that we play already. It's true. Yeah, on a regular do. basis. <laughs> but then uh Well, I mean that means it's kind of it's kind of in our wheelhouse. It'd be very natural to turn it. We don't have to do it often, but we could do it like as often as we do made up motorcycle. I think it's worth trying. Well, that's true, but also when we buy a bike, it's usually like when you show me a bike that I actually pulled the trigger on. There's usually like a three hour window between the text being sent and the bike and and the registration being being signed. well, because I'll probably send you a bike, uh, uh, you know, at least one and a half every week of like, I think you should go buy this right now. And, it's and then every, and, every and it's, six to nine months, yeah. you actually do buy one of and them. And it's just, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. I've got the cash. <laughs> yeah. Be ready in half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So he also said uh, in this email, lastly, have you ever featured the Gen 2 Suzuki SV650 on Best Worst? He says he just picked one up, and while it doesn't hold a candle to the insane awesomeness of the CBR F4i or 650R, uh, it's still a pretty awesome fucking bike, and he's keen to know what we think about it. I think there's no way that we haven't said that the Gen 2 SV is not the best bike in the world. We've We've definitely done the SV as the best bike. Did we pick a specific Gen? Uh, I said 2001 onwards. Uh, I kind of like the early ones. Uh, 2001 onwards is fuel-injected, and that's why I chose it. Yeah. I guess we have then, but... um... He said, also, hopefully you read this without deleting my email. Obviously, heart the show hard. Really love the MotoGP updates you do, though he felt like we didn't pile enough love on Jack Miller for his win in that race where Diablo shit the bed. Anyway, take it easy. Thank for the awesome work that you do. Peace, Leon. Well, thank you, Leon. Um, Well, I mean, we didn't, but I, I think we gave some more love to Jack the next week, and we've definitely been giving love to um, Remy Gardner. 
uh, yeah, as I said, I, uh, Australian racers are kind of up and coming all over the place. So phew, I'm into it. It's they're definitely doing a lot better than American and British writers at the moment. Yeah, they're doing better than American and British writers put together. So good on them. And I think that might be it for emails right now. As again, I kind of always say, if we've missed your email, which it's totally possible that we did, just send it again. So and kind of like move it back to the top of what we're paying attention to, because I don't know, it's easy for us to lose track when we do these like things where we go like three or four weeks without reading emails. Like, ah. And then it's still people still send emails to Nokomoto podcast at Gmail. People send them to contact at Nokomoto podcast.com. They send them to Swiggy at Nokomoto podcast.com. Well, definitely don't send them to Swiggy anymore because I have not checked that email address in. Yeah, if you check it right now, I bet you'll find three of them that we haven't read. But this, I, yeah. this episode's at two hours and 15 minutes, so we got to just cut it short and we'll we'll catch him up the next time. We'll, I'll remind you to check your freaking email. You're the one that reads the emails and you don't check the email. <laughs> oh, it's so indicative of how this show is made. But all right. So we've come to the end of. Yeah, you've wasted another two perfectly good hours of your life listening to the Nokomoto podcast. I hope you're proud. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so I don't know what we're going to do next week. I, normally at this point, I would say something about why we felt the need to talk about what we talked about or what we're going to or what our plans are or remind you of something coming up, but I've got nothing. It's just time to say, stay safe, stay tuned, leave us reviews. Thank you so much for listening and keep fighting the dragon. You ready to go to go out, Swigs? Yeah. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motor side. Cole? I don't always ride Honda C90s, but when I do ride Cubs, I prefer them to be super. <laughs>